Oh, okay, good. <laughs> that was going to be my new cue. <clears throat> All right, so, uh, Aiden, I'm fighting uh, asthma and hay fever too, so I... I get exactly, I have to explain to people all the time, so I get what you said. All right, we're continuing in our series called The Gathering Storm as I talk about the challenges that Jews and Christians are facing with uh, the rise of secularism, kind of a radical secularism, and the uh, demise of uh, traditional uh, faith in, um, in our culture. The biblical revelation and narrative is being... Uh, is eroding away not only to the general population, but often within the congregation itself. Uh, So, the modern behavioral sciences of anthropology, psychology, and sociology have really replaced the the law and the prophets and the gospels, in that sense, and replaced uh, pastors and rabbis and priests as the uh, people that you go to for issues. So we're going to talk today, we've already talked about the biblical concept of nations versus the secular idea of races coming out of evolution. We uh, have already talked about oppression from a biblical perspective versus the secular perspective that is showing up currently. Today I want to talk about gender and sexuality. And to do that we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. And I've got in there 27 to 28. I'm going to pick it up at verse 26. In the creation uh, account, the scripture says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them be over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, uh, this text, we have a specific statement that God has made us as human beings male and female. And he made us as human beings in his image. Uh, And he told them, the first male and female, Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth and having a stewardship over the living creatures. There's an implication here that being male and female is focused on reproduction and parenting. And we get more specific in that uh, in our second passage, which is Genesis 2, 18 to 24. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. That's why I only covered those, uh, those verses. But God creates Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathes into him the breath of life. And then, in the midst of that, we get these words in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. 
And he gave names to the cattle and the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was no helper found suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. He took one of his ribs, the Hebrew is side stuff, uh, and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord fashioned uh, from the, uh, into a woman the stuff that he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. Now, this text really makes it clear that something needed to be the way it is. So God says, he creates and he says, this is good. He creates, he says, it's good. He creates, he says, it's good. It's good, it's good. And then here we have, it's not good. What's not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. The idea is that God intended for us, because we are gendered, to come together. And here we have the establishment of marriage. The establishment of what will bring about the procreation of children and the parenting. So it's really important to understand that gender has one primary function and that function is to create companionship in marriage, sexual intimacy, procreation or reproduction, and parenting. Now if you think about it, if you think about it carefully, you'll realize that there's no other reason to be male and female. Having trouble with my pages here. You don't have to be male or female to teach college. You don't have to be male or female to drive a bus. You don't have to be male or female necessarily in today's world to be a soldier. Almost everything that can be done is done without gender. What can't be done without gender is biblical marriage, sexual intimacy the way God designed it, procreation that comes out of that sexual intimacy, and then the role of father and mother in parenting. If you search the scriptures, you'll see that God intended males and females to be joined in lifelong companionship in marriage with exclusive sexual relationships within that bond of marriage and that the husband and wife are to have children when they will parent those children in the faith and in the knowledge of God as father and as mother. Now the, this is supposed to be a norm for God's people, but it's never been a norm for humanity. The ancient world had sex in marriage that was primarily about procreation and sex outside of marriage that was religious in nature and functioned in a very different context. But for Israel, who was supposed to be a light to the other nations, there were specific sexual commandments that they were to adhere to. And those are found in Leviticus chapter 18. I'd like you to turn there with me. So, in chapter 18 of Leviticus, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. 
You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You will perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accordance with them. I am the Lord. So you will keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. Now I want you to catch what God's doing. He's saying, I'm in charge of you. I bought you with a price. I brought you out of Egypt. And I don't want you walking like an Egyptian. Got to do that. And I don't want you to act like the Canaanites in the land that I'm bringing you in, which, by the way, is the promised land. He says, you're going to act and live the way I tell you to live because I am the Lord your God. Now, we're going to see at the end of this chapter that God is going to include in these commandments those from the nations who are joined to Israel, who dwell with Israel. As Paul says, we have been through the mystery of the gospel. So these are commandments for God's people, not for the world in general, but will be a light to the world as to how God wants uh, us to live in this context. So then he says, None of you shall approach any blood relative to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. Now he goes on and specifies all of these relationships. I'm not going to talk about that now. Just want you to understand that the first thing that God deals with is what today we would call incest or being involved in a marriage or sexual relationship with a person who is a close relative. The reason for this is not genetics and the reason for this is not uh, about uh, some of the things that people use uh, for the so-called sexual taboo. The reason is these people already are in relationship to you. And this, you are creating a relationship with husband and wife that is unique and separates from the father and the mother and therefore from this household of relatives uh, in that context. So the, he starts with that and then he goes to uh, additional commandments. So he says, uh, you shall not uh, approach a woman... Uh, to uncover nakedness during menstrual impurity. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the thing that is very critical for Jews to understand and for us. God says to Israel, I have separated life and death. I place both of those before you. And you will choose life. And so a lot of the commandments related to food and other things that Jews do normally, have built into them this life-death dichotomy. So, for example, the animals that Jews may eat divide the hoof and chew the cud. They are vegetarian. But the animals that they can't eat are the ones that eat the dead, separating life and death. They're not allowed to put uh, wool and linen in the same uh, outfit. If you take wool from the sheep, the sheep is still alive. But if you take flax plant and you take that flax out to make the linen, you kill the plant. So these are, these are not about health issues. They are about life and death. So intercourse is about life and reproduction. Menstruation is the indication that that's not happening. You have the life and death separation there. Um, then, after that, he says... Uh, 
You shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. So again, we're not to violate another person's marriage because they are echad. They are one. And we are that way with our own spouse. And so that commandment is also given in this, in this context. Then he says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. I want you to understand that abomination is a term that refers to any violation of holiness. So it is not evil, it's unholy. These are part of the holiness commandments. And so he says, you're not to engage in a same-sex activity. Notice this is behavioral. It's not about sexual orientation. And he says, you shall not uh, have intercourse with an animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. So now God's going to talk about what this defilement, this uncleanness that happens to God's people who are holy. He says, do not defile yourselves by any of these things. For by all these things, the nations that I am casting out before you, He's moving Israel into the promised land, moving the other nations out. They have done this, and the, the land has become defiled. The holy land, God's holy. This is about holiness. Therefore, I have brought its punishment on it, so that the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not do any of these abominations. Neither the native, meaning the the Jew, nor the stranger, the Gentile, who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been here before you have done these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so that the land will not spew you out should you defile it. It has spewed out the nations which have been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among the people. Thus you are to keep my charge and do do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you as to defile yourself with them. I am the Lord. And then he continues two more verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the congregation, the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's very important that we understand that we as believers are under a different code with regard to sexuality than the world. And we need to raise our children to understand that too. Because for far too long, the church took the position that if we have to live by those rules, everybody's got to live by those rules. Even though we weren't always living by those rules. Everybody has to live by those rules. And we created... This idea that the moral code of the Bible was binding on everybody. It's not bound on those who don't know the Lord because they don't know the Lord. We're supposed to live it to be a light to them, not speak it so we become an irritant to them. Which is what we've done and now the tide has turned. So, this chapter explains that marriage is to be confined between marriage, that incest is forbidden, same-sex activity, bestiality, sex with neighbor's wife, all of those are uh, not to be done. And we find in the book of Acts that when the Gentiles were coming in, they had to decide what do we tell the Gentiles to do. 
They're not under the Mosaic Covenant, but they are included among the people. God's calling them out for a people for his name. What is essential for them? And they said there are four essentials, all of them in the book of Leviticus and all of them with this statement about the native Jew and the stranger who dwells among them. One is blood. That goes all the way back to uh, Moses that we are not to eat blood. The life is in the blood. I have placed that on the sacrifice. You will not eat it. You will pour the blood out and then you can eat the animal, but you cannot eat the blood. Secondly, uh, you are to stay away from idols. Anything that's related to an idol or sacrifice to an idol, we are to stay away from because we belong to the Lord our God. He alone is God. There may be Lord's many and God's many around the world, but for us, there is one God, the Father, and one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, he, they, he, they said, strangled. If food is, if, if animals are killed in an inhumane way and not for food, we are not allowed to eat them. Again, there's this life and death uh, aspect that's going on there. And then the final one is fornication, pornei, the, the idea of sexual running amok. And so it's important to understand that in the ancient world, the Jews and the Christians had to live with people who were living by very different sexual standards. And instead of telling everybody they're wrong and irritating them, they simply lived by those standards and were asked why they lived by them. Because we belong to the Lord, is what they would say. They were seen as a little weird, but they were holy unto the Lord. Now with the rise of the modern world, uh, paganism, for the most part, was gone in the traditional Western culture because Judaism and Christianity had been brought in as an influence on the Greco-Roman roots of this culture. But with the modern world, there was a new challenge and that new challenge was secularism. And secularism began to see sexuality and marriage and reproduction and parenting very different. Uh, We evolved... And therefore, they could look at anything in the creation and see that as a way to do things. They didn't see it as a creation. It was simply an evolution system. They replaced the concept of sin with the idea of mental illness. And the goal of the kingdom of God and living towards a kingdom that was coming was replaced by political, economic, and technological advancement that will create our own heaven, our own utopia. Now what this did is it resulted in the separation of marriage and companionship, sexual pleasure, reproduction, and parenting into distinct and optional goals. We live in a time and a place when all of those can be seen as their own little world. For us, marriage involves sexuality, Parenting and reproduction, all of those is a package deal. For the world, they are all separate things. So now marriage and male and female companionship, which makes us echad, makes us one, is only one of several options for the, the, the American uh, cultural person. That includes same-sex relationships, polyamorous, multiple serial 
relationships, all of those things are part of it. And they can be temporary or they can be permanent. It's totally up to the choice of the people. Sexual pleasure has been removed from marriage and removed from reproduction and removed from parenting so that it is a package all its own. And it can be used as casual sex in any form of attraction or what are today called sexual orientations. Uh, The goal is simply pleasure satisfaction. And that's been compounded more recently by the notion of gender as being psychological rather than biological uh, in the context of what today are called transgendered persons. Procreation, also now an option, because technology allows for birth prevention, called birth control, and the termination of unwanted pregnancy with abortion on demand. Parenting also has been separated from gender, because a loving single parent is just as good as two, and two mothers or two fathers is just as good as a mother or a father. So male and female aspects of parenting are not considered. In many cases, though, parenting is simply home care for the evening because parents are outsourcing almost all aspects of parenting to preschools, daycare, schools, church groups, sports groups, as the values, knowledge, and skills that the kids should learn within the context of the faith is being taught by these other institutions. Even spiritual formation is being outsourced to children's ministers and youth pastors and not being done by the parents in the home. It's important to keep in mind that the biblical categories of gender are male and female. And that's based on the physical body. There is no discussion in the Bible of a male or female spirit. We have our inner person, our spirit, and we have our outer person, which is our body. And the experience of my spirit is coming through the sensation and the senses of the male body that I have. And of course, my wife has a spirit, but hers is experiencing this creation through that female body. So that notion of male and female from a biblical framework is not the spiritual part of us, but it is the physical part of us. That's why the Bible refers to husband and wife as one flesh. Our spirits are without gender. The body is the part of the nefesh or the soul that Paul calls the outer man. We read that earlier. The inner man, the inner person, is our spirit. It would require, if transgender is what they're claiming it is, it would require that the spirit or the essence of what's inside us is the gendered part, not the body. So there's major theological issues here. In addition, the Bible understands the categories of sexuality as male and female. It understands that the attraction to the physical act 
can turn into lust. And therefore many of the commandments are about us curbing that. Because the Bible's very aware that we will do that. That attraction though is not a concept of sexual orientation. There is no biblical concept of sexual orientation. I get really frustrated when Christians tell me that they're heterosexually oriented. Because you're making the argument that the drive, the sexual drive, has a based target that's inside you. None of your drives have that. Your drive for hydration is not for a root beer. It's for hydration. You learn through experience the root beer and become attracted to root beer. Or you repel root beer. Same with food. Your body needs nutrition. It doesn't have a Big Mac attack. Right? The Big Mac attack is a learned target through the experience of culture. That would mean that the sex drive would be the only drive that actually has a target. And that target would make no sense in biological terms, Darwinian terms, if it was same sex. Because it wouldn't pass on that that target. So we need to understand that attraction is what we're talking about, not orientation. Once we use the words of the secularists and not the biblical terminology, they've already half won the argument. And the Bible assumes that people are going to change the intent of male and female if they don't know God. So I'm going to give you two passages to establish that, and then I'll be done. The first one is in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 at verse 20. Remember that the drive to uh, idolatry and the drive to other sexual ideas all are part of coming away from God and away from holiness. So he says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. He's talking about the issue of idolatry here, where a person takes a log, he cuts it in half, with half of it he cooks his dinner, and the other half he makes a god and says, you made me. You've got to be an idiot to believe that, okay? You can't be greater than your god. So you see the creation, the creator has to be greater than the creation. He says... For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, or of birds, or four-footed animals, or crawling creatures." Then God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature and its desires rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason God gave them over. He let them go in this to degrading passions. 
For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to depraved minds to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice these things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Welcome to You Are Here. Okay, That's been the way of humanity from the beginning. That's the way of humanity now. There was a small blip where there was the appearance that America was living by Christian standards. They weren't. But they were giving the impression of the Christian standards. And now they have stripped that off. And they're back to what the Bible talks about. Not worshiping the creator, but the creation. Figuring out what we can do. They're not interested in purpose. They're interested in function. And that's what secularism does. Paganism did that too. But that's what secularism does. The other verse I want you to see is 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay, I know I have one here. There it is. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, verse 3, This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Now the word sanctification comes from the Latin word sanctus, which is equivalent to the Greek word hagios and the Hebrew word kadosh, holy. Okay, But there's no verb form for holy. So we couldn't say, this is the will of God, your holyization. Right? So we had to use sanctification. Right? But that's what it means, your holyization. You're being made holy. That's God's will for us. As his people. That you abstain from sexual fornication. Or immorality. right? That each one of you knows how to possess his own vessel. The body. In holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion. Like the Gentiles who don't know God. The Bible says people who don't know God. Are going to run amok. Not just sexually. They run amok in every way. Because they only have the perspective that's humanistic. But we have the commandments of God. So he says, We are not to transgress and defraud a brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, in holiness. And the one who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul's very clear that the body is not made for sexual running amok. It's for the Lord. So uh, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. Now Paul does that by giving an example. 
Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. So what's the purpose of the stomach? To digest food. You can take it out, sew it up, and make a purse out of it, but that's not its purpose. That would be a different function, right? What's food for? To go in the stomach and be eaten, right? You can shellac it and make art out of it, but that's not its purpose. So if the stomach and the food are going to live their purpose, then they are to be used in that function. They could be used in other functions. The body is for the Lord, so he can place his Holy Spirit in us. And it's not for running amok with every pleasure that we could find. That function violates the purpose of God in giving us his Holy Spirit. So it's really important that we understand why we are living by a different standard than the world. Because one of two things happens. You either say, well, if they can do that, we can do that, and we'll just sing Amazing Grace. Or we have to say, if we have to do it, you have to do it. That's not biblical. Neither one of those. What's biblical is, I am bought with a price. I'm to glorify God in my body, which is his. And I am uh, to glorify God in that way. Because I am his. And they aren't. So it's not my job to force them to live by the rules that I'm supposed to live by. Western culture is returning to its Greco-Roman roots. And it's rapidly dropping the Judeo-Christian influence that has been on it for many centuries. That means in many ways we find ourselves in a context very similar to the early believers. Because they were in the Greco-Roman world with all of its paganism, all of its idols, all of its functions, all of its sexual practices. The calling of God is for us to trust him and to walk in his ways of righteousness and holiness. So for us, marriage is holy and in it are the purpose and functions of being male and female created in his image for his glory. That sexuality is as husband and wife, as companions and intending procreation and parenting as fathers and mothers. So that we parent godly offspring, which is what God is after. Who know and acknowledge who the Lord is. They know the Lord. That's the norm for us in this life. And it will be only changed in the resurrection. In the resurrection, Jesus says, will be as the angels. Neither being given in marriage, nor marrying. And we won't be procreating. That's for here. So it's very important that we keep in mind that we have a different calling, a different place. Uh, and that's difficult because the world wants us to run amok with them. And I'll tell you, the sin that's in us wants to, run a, wants to go out and play with them too. Okay? So we have to struggle against that. That's why we need community and reinforcement. And that's why we need to be focused on raising our children to understand that marriage, gender, sexuality, procreation, and parenting is why God made us males and females. So that when we know Him, we would then engage in this in an appropriate way. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And I ask God that You would help us 
uh, it's become 